I hope you've got a Bible here, either electronic, uh, hard copy, something that you can look at, the Word of God, because that is where the power is. And so I encourage you to open up this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at just three small verses. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. Let me read that. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would use your word to uh, come into our hearts and affect us in a way that causes us to want to walk more closely with you. I pray that you would uh, expose us to those thoughts that you desire for us to see from your word that will change us in a way and mold us in a way to make us better vessels for you today. I pray that you'd keep me from error and that you'd use the words of my mouth to present your word in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you today about four great things that Paul shares with us in these three verses. And he starts right off at the beginning. He says, now in a great house. In this passage, Paul is talking about the house that God is building. The church, those who follow and love the Lord Jesus Christ, God is building into a great house. Now, what makes a house great? Perhaps you've had an opportunity to go to a great house. Uh, and for those of you that are, that are U of M fans, we're not talking about the big house. We're, we're not talking about that. But a large mansion, perhaps you've been able to go into a large mansion and you find yourself saying, ooh, or wow, that's beautiful. What makes a house great? I would suggest to you this morning that there are several things that make a house great. It could be great because of its owner. The person who owns the house might be powerful and influential. Well, the house of God, the owner is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, who with the word of his mouth spoke it all into existence. That makes a great house because it's a great owner. A house could be great because of its designer. It could be a house that has such unique architectural design that we would say, that's a great house. Well, think about the design that went into the house of God. God saw from eternity past a blueprint, a design. And that design included needing to come up with a way for you and me to be reconciled to him because he knew that we would sin in the garden. Max Lucado has said that as, 
Adam and Eve fell into sin, the shadow of the cross was on the horizon. God had already designed a plan that was going to come to fruition in the death of Jesus Christ our Savior. But it wouldn't end there. That Savior would then rise from the dead and we would have a glorified, living, resurrected Savior. The house of God is great because of the architect who designed it. A house could be great because of its cost. I remember some years ago when... uh, Steve Jobs was building a house and it was over a hundred million dollars for this house. That's a lot to spend. What was the cost for the house that God is building? God paid the high price so that we could have, we could have it for free. The house that God cost, or that God is building, cost him his son to die for us. That makes it a great house. A house could also be great because of its importance, because of perhaps what happened there, or the significance of that house in certain historical events. The house that God is building is at the center of all of the plan that he has going forward into the future. As you read the New Testament and then you look at Revelation all the way through to the end, it's the house that God is building that's in the middle of that picture. It's an important house. And it's a great house. So Paul starts off with this concept of a great house. And he spoke about this in another place in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, speaking to those who follow Christ, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the great house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God is at work building a great house. And those of us who follow Jesus Christ get to be part of it. There's a second great thing that Paul tells us about in these three verses. He talks about vessels. And he says in verse 20, the second part of verse 20, in this great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So I would suggest that there are three important things that show up in this verse. First is this important distinction that Paul makes. He says there's a distinction between the vessels of honor 
and the vessels of dishonor. Now, this is not something that's that unfamiliar to us. I recall when I was a child that when we were having guests over to the house, mom would frequently say, all right, go get the good china. That china that resides perhaps in a glass case and it sits there most of the time except for honorable times. When you open it up and you pull all that out and you set the table with the vessels of honor. Paul said, in this great house, there are two types of vessels. There are vessels of honor, and then there are vessels of dishonor. The vessels of honor, gold and silver. The vessels of dishonor, wood and clay. And just as we can visualize the vessels of honor in our own homes, we could also visualize the vessels of dishonor. Mom would never think to say to me when the guests were coming, Jim, go out into the garage and pull the covers off the trash cans and let's put that on the table and we'll, we'll all eat off the garbage can lids. No, she's not going to say that. Why is that? Because those are vessels of dishonor. Not only is there a distinction between the vessels, notice the second important thing. There's an important truth about the vessels. Both vessels are in the house. Paul is not talking here about Vessels of dishonor who are not people who know Christ. We're talking about the great house of God. And in the house of God, there are those who are vessels of honor and those who are vessels of dishonor. Those who are ready for good purposes, those who are not. It's important that we remember that everyone knows which of those two types of vessels followers of Christ's are. Why do you think that some people look at the church and say, that's just a bunch of hypocrites? Why would they think there's hypocrisy in the church? Because there are vessels of dishonor. There are people who are not ready to do the things that are of noble purpose. They know. People know. So there's a distinction between the vessels of honor and the vessels of dishonor. There's the truth that both of these vessels are in the house. Which, by the way, is an important verse to support the eternal security of the believer. The fact that these vessels are dishonorable did not disqualify them from being in the house. Is anybody else suffering from allergies during this time of the year? <laughs> All these flowers are beautiful, but uh, I'll tell you what, they, they can do a number. <clears throat> so pardon me while I deal with that. So that, that um, 
the, the uh, fact that pers- a person is not doing honorable deeds all the time doesn't disqualify them from being in the house. Praise be to God. Because if that were the case, I would be out of the house at various times because I don't always do what honors God. There's a third important thing here about the vessels. Change is possible. You don't have to remain a vessel of dishonor. Look what Paul says in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There has to be change in two different ways. Notice that there's a change in composition. Because Paul's not saying that simply by cleaning up the clay or the wood vessel, it becomes honorable. No, it has to change from being clay and wood to being silver and gold. So part one of the change has to be done by God. God has to do a work in our hearts to get us to desire to be changed. It's not enough just to clean up. God has to change the composition. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world. He's talking to believers now. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the renewing of our mind is something that can have to happen after we know the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior. Paul said, don't let, as a Christian, the world shape you into its mold, but instead start thinking God thoughts, renewing your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable, and perfect. Friends, part of the change that's required after we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior to become the godly servants of of God that he desires us to be, only he can do. So we need to be asking God to work in our lives in a way that's molding us into the image that he wants of us. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, be imitators of God. Be shaped and molded to look more and more Christ-like. So to become the vessel of honor requires that change in composition. But it also requires a change in purpose. So the vessels were carrying one kind of thing. They were used for one kind of thing. Now they're going to be used for a different type of thing. A change of purpose. Paul says to make that happen is part B of the cleansing. He says, cleanse yourselves. Friends, you and I are responsible to make sure 
that our lives are swept clean of the crud that builds up in them. The blood of Jesus Christ and His righteousness provides the forgiveness of our sin, but it's the confession and repentance of us wanting to get rid of that that brings that to bear. Paul said, put off the old man, put on the new man. He didn't say, pray to God that he will help you to put off your old man and that he would force you to put on the new man. No, he says, you and me, you and I, we need to put off the old man. We need to put on the new man. It's an active participatory action where we are deciding, I don't want this, I do want this. Where does that come from? Where does that response to want that come from? John tells us, in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Here's the kicker. He says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Friends, if you are sitting here today as a follower of Jesus Christ with the hope of eternal life that comes from Him, John says, if you have that hope, you should be desiring to purify yourself. You should be desiring to clean out the crud that happens. So there are great vessels that are in the great house. And those vessels need to be changed both by God and by us to become vessels of honor. Why would we want to do that? Paul talked about that in the verse previously when he said he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy useful to the master of the house. God has chosen to do his work in his world through his people. He makes a choice when there's work to be done, which person or persons is he going to use? Who's ready to be useful? Did you notice what it said there? Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Constantly ready to do the work that God calls to do. And it's not just ready to do the work at church ready to do every good work, ready to do all the things 
that God calls us to do. But we can't do that if we're not vessels of honor. So while there aren't levels of good, better, and best Christians, there are levels of ready or not Christians. We should desire to be followers of Christ who want to be in it for Him. We want to be doing the work of good works. And that requires that we are vessels of honor and that we make the change that's required. So there's a great house and there are great vessels and now Paul gives us a great strategy. You say, Jim, well, what, how, how am I going to do that? How am I going to become a vessel of honor? Paul talks about that. Look at verse 22. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. One verse of strategy. And it starts off with this statement. Flee youthful desires. You and I clearly know what that means. We have phrases in our vernacular that talk about that. For example, boys will be boys. Stop being so childish. It was a youthful indiscretion. We understand that youth is not always equal to good judgment. We understand that there are things that youth struggle with that as they get more mature, more wise hopefully, that they don't have to struggle as much with that. And we talk to people who are supposedly more mature and wise, who haven't achieved that, we say, why are you acting so childish? Paul says, we're to flee youthful desires. We're to flee the things that in our youth would try to tempt us away, would try to lead us into indiscretions, which were demonstrating poor judgment. And he uses the word flee. Now what does the word flee mean? It means flee! Run like your life depended on it. I recall some years back, you remember there was a, a huge tsunami that killed tens of thousands of people in Southeast Asia. And, and you could see pictures on the screen of the tsunami wave that was coming. And those people understood what the word flee meant. They were running for their lives. 
Sometimes we don't do that with sin. We don't run from it as if our life depended on it. We sometimes try to say, well, you know, God is strong. Let me just see how much I can take. Let me see how close I can get. I'm reminded of when I was a teenager and I was at a campfire and I sat on the log as you always do at the campfire and, and uh, the fire was burning and the, the person was giving the devotional and I saw a moth that flew in attracted to the light of that fire. And it was flitting around and flying around the fire and the flames and just all over the place around that fire until at one point a flame shot up and caught it. And it spiraled down into the embers and it was gone. Sometimes that's what we do with sin. We figure out how we can flit around and kind of have one foot in, one foot out, and we're, we're kind of involved and not really, and we're saying we love Jesus, but then we're doing this, and the flame's coming. James chapter 1, verse 15, James says, Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The Proverbs have a lot to say as well about foolish people who go down the pathway of sinfulness. Paul says, do you want to move toward becoming vessels of honor? Do you want to move toward putting on the new man? You need to flee youthful desires. And then he says, pursue, and he gives a list. Now this is excellent advice. Because on the one hand, he says, you need to stop and get away from this over here. And then he says, as hard as you are going to flee from this, he uses the word pursue. Now that doesn't just mean go on a leisurely jog. If you ever watch the show Cops on TV and they are in pursuit, either in their vehicles or on foot, they are going as fast as they possibly can in pursuit. And Paul uses that word here when he says what we are to go after as we flee sinfulness. He gives us several things. He says, pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Jim, how do I pursue righteousness? Well, what is righteousness? Righteousness is 
the standard of God. So Paul says, if you're going to be a vessel of honor, then you need to be pursuing the standard of God. The New Testament even expresses that to us when it says, be holy as I am holy, God says. God invites us to pursue his standard of righteousness. Strive to match the standard of God through the power of God. We don't have time this morning to look at the power of God in our lives and what it is capable of accomplishing, but we are to be striving, pursuing after righteousness. Not to acquire heaven. We're not pursuing righteousness by our works. We're not trying to get righteousness for our sinfulness. There's only one righteousness that covers our sinfulness. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But once that righteousness covers us, then God calls us to pursue his standard of righteousness. Because he knows when we seek to satisfy our uh, longings and desires with righteous living, that that's when our greatest fulfillment comes. Matthew 5 and verse 6, Jesus said, among the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Is our thirst today for righteousness? Do we desire to pursue righteousness with all of our heart? Proverbs 15.9 The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. God loves that. And you know what he'll do when we are pursuing righteousness? He'll help us. He'll give us the power to do it more and more. Paul says, pursue righteousness. Pursue love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. Love one another. Love one another. Paul says, pursue that. Pursue that in our actions. Pursue that in our thoughts. Pursue that in our motives. Seek to love as Christ loved. Romans 13 and verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Greater love has no man than this, that, than that he would lay down his life for another. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Pursue, chase after, love. Pursue faith, Paul says. What does that mean? Pursue faith. How do I do that? Find ways to watch God work 
And when we find ways to watch God work, that will strengthen our own faith. Because our faith is not strengthened when we're able to do everything. When we're doing things on our own power, that doesn't strengthen our faith. Our faith is strengthened when we have to put our trust in God. And then he strengthens our faith to know that that trust is not ill-placed. Romans chapter 4, Paul said, No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. What's, what is that verse talking about? It's talking about the fact that Abraham had been told that he was going to have a son and he was well past the age of bearing children. He had faith and he stretched his faith and trusted God and he pursued faith. And Paul says one more thing. Pursue peace. Boy, doesn't our world need peace today? And the sad thing is, there's no place on the earth where they can find true peace. Because only God can provide true peace. And if you think about a war and there are shells going both directions and there are guns and there's all this racket and then there's a ceasefire and it's quiet. Peace. Paul says, pursue that. What man is there, the psalmist says, who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Rhetorical question he's asking there because the answer is all of us. All of us would like to see good and long life. He gives the answer. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Friends, this morning, are you pursuing peace in your, in your home? Is your home a peaceful place? Are you pursuing peace in your place of work? Are you pursuing, pursuing peace in your church? Paul says, if you're going to be vessels of honor, you need to pursue peace. John sa in, Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. We're supposed to be different when it comes to peace. We should be examples of what peace looks like because that's what Jesus implanted in us. Peace. Pursue those things. And here's the last one, very briefly. Number five, or excuse me, number four, great thing from these verses. We saw the great house, 
We saw the great vessels. We saw a great strategy. And right at the end of verse 22, Paul says, Pursue all these things along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There's a great congregation. There are people who have said, Lord, I want to be a vessel of honor. Cleanse me and make me usable for your glory. All of those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, all of those that have cleansed themselves by the power of God to become vessels of honor, Paul says, pursue with all of them these things. We're not alone in our pursuit. We don't have to do it by ourselves. But there's a choice. There's a choice to join the group or not to join. There's a choice to be a vessel of honor or to be a vessel of dishonor. It's not going to just happen. So this morning as we go, I set before you the choice. And you may be able to say to the glory of God, Lord, I am pure before you and ready to do the work that you desire for me to do. But there may be some that would say, I am not. And if that's the case, you have a choice. You can say, I'm going to continue to be this way or I'm going to strive to purify myself and to become a vessel of honor. What choice will you make today? 